Welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discussing pop culture with a geeky bent. And hey, we're doing this again. And I'm joined as ever by my co-host Chris, who's facing a nasty cold, but he's he's gonna he's gonna fight through it, folks, for you to talk about Watchmen. How's it going, Chris? Rain or shine, I'm here, Steve, and uh, very excited to be talking to you about Watchmen today. With old bass oil and a big bottle of Calpol. Yeah. <laughs> or Dimitian elixir. That was your. Uh... <laughs> that was my drug of choice. That was uh... it. <laughs> That's what mum would uh, force feed us for everything. <laughs> so, uh, so we've got a few things to discuss, Chris. Obviously, Watchmen. There's a lot to dissect in there, but before we jump into that, let's address the elephant in the room from the last episode. We got into a little uh-huh. DC Marvel thing mm. about Captain Marvel, aka Shazam. Now, I got a message from no less than a listener in Japan, <laughs> who had to tell me <laughs> that, in his words, uh, we were both right, but for wrong reasons. So let's just address that in the room now, Chris. Okay. So okay. So this this sounds to me like a news nugget. It is a news nugget, and Chris, I believe you've designed a drop. So why don't you play the drop for the audience? We're getting increasingly professional here. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. News nuggets. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I, think the, I think the people did deleting the episode of the podcast off their uh, phones now might be getting it as well. Uh, brilliant. Brilliant. We have a news nugget. The news nugget is that uh, we were both right. But for wrong reasons. And we actually discovered this after the show. So there is a... For th- for those of you who might not have skipped the last one, don't skip episodes. Listen to them all. Do not ever skip episodes again if you did do don't that. fucking skip us. Come on. This is good stuff every <laughs> yeah. week. Every two weeks. So two weeks ago, we talked about uh, 21 Jump Street. And we mentioned that Brie Larson is going to be Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. which she is in the Marvel Universe. There is a Captain Marvel in the DC Universe, a.k.a. Shazam. Mm-hmm. So we were both right, Chris. Yeah. I was right that there is a movie that she's going to be in. It's in the Marvel Universe. And you were right that there was a Captain Marvel. Who came first? It stuck in my mind because it came up in a pub quiz once. And I was like, what? There was a DC character called Captain Marvel. What? What's that about? You know? And I didn't know that Marvel uh, had been so cheeky as to just outright name one of their characters also Captain Marvel. But there we are. So that is that mystery solved. It's put to bed. News nuggets over. In the best tradition of the arguments that we have, Chris, we were both right, and there was no need to argue. But there we go. We didn't yeah. know, and now now we know, and now we can we can move on with a fresh slate. Yeah. So I think that brings us to an end of news nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'm keeping that. <laughs> we'll keep it let's just hope we have much news to discuss i'm joking it's great uh <laughs> i'm glad you like it i put a lot of effort into that getting increasingly professional i love it mm-hmm. so let's let's move on so what are we talking about this week chris we're talking about watchmen the 2009 adaptation of uh, a beloved comic book uh one that uh, both you and me have read from cover to cover mm-hmm. years before the film came out uh, I remember seeing the film on opening night, uh, midnight screening, I believe, with the wife, uh, and we rewatched it this time together as well. Um, but before we jump straight into the film, Chris, what's your uh, what's your memories about reading Watchmen first time around? Mm, so, uh, you definitely read it before I did, long before I did, I think. Yeah, and I was I was kind of getting into comics properly. I'd gone and bought myself some like essential X-Men collections and stuff. And I was in Waterstones and I asked a friend of mine for a recommendation and he pointed me in the direction of uh, a couple of Frank Miller graphic novels and Watchmen. And I sort of saw that mm-hmm. one and, you know, right away I found the, the, the cover was quite striking and I had a quick flick through it and I remembered that you'd read it and I thought, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give this a go. And it absolutely blew my mind. It really made me reevaluate what I think of as, you know, comics versus graphic novels. As as I think many people have said before me, and many will probably say after me, you know, it kind of showed the medium what it could be. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I've read it a couple of times. Um, in honor of this, I've started rereading it again. Um, and I've sort of a, a couple of chapters through it. But yeah, you know, it, it 
it's very striking and it's you know it's got a lot of you know it's got a lot of talking points in it there's a lot to think about and um it is inextricably linked to the movie we're going to be discussing so (laughs) apologies in advance if you haven't read it but i will be referencing it a lot spoilers (laughs) ahoy as well but the film let's talk about the film chris let's let's move the comic book to one side so the film so as ever with these things i'm going to ask you the simple question did you like it? Uh, and as ever, I am not going to give you a direct or simple answer. Ah, <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, yeah, I will. I will say this, and so I guess I will give you a simple answer. But I'm going to give it an asterisk. Okay, so the answer is yes. Yes, I enjoyed the movie. There is a big asterisk <laughs> that has a lot of sub asterisks. And uh, it's kind of why I'm quite excited about talking about it, because there's a lot to talk about. about. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, can I launch in? Uh, you know what? This is just, just jumping, okay. Chris. Like, give us your immediate thoughts on the film with your asterisk. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you through my mindset, pre-film, mid-film, post-film, if I may. Go on. So here's the thing. Pre-film... Um, I think I mentioned this last time, but obviously, as you know, as is kind of the setup of the podcast, I haven't seen the film. And I didn't get to go see it in the cinema. I just couldn't kind of make it happen. Didn't buy it on DVD. And then it came out on Blu-ray and it was a director's cut. And I thought, yeah, you know, fuck it. But I could just never, um, I could never make myself sit down and watch it. And it was because I love the comic books so very dearly. I was afraid to watch the film and have it somehow mar my enjoyment of it. I'm very glad that you made me sit down and finally watch it. And so I think I went into it. I had no idea what to expect, but my brain was telling me that this is going to be like the story that is as old as time. You know, the source material is there, but it kind of gets largely ignored. There's big parts that get changed so that they can make it a movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're kind of left going, oh, it was okay, but oh, why did they get rid of that subplot? Or why did that character have to be taken out? And I don't know what that whole love story they put in was, you know. I think the worst offender of that of all time is probably The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, starring Martin Freeman, for example. Now, that's what I was expecting to see. Let's, so let's fast forward now. You're watching the film now, so I'm imagining you're at home probably in some sort of state of undress, hand down the pants, yeah. <laughs> having a scratch. Al Bundy like. I was I was wearing my I was wearing my Bugs Bunny PJs <laughs> and I was uh it sat alone in the dark watching okay. the film. <laughs> <It was> stupendous. <laughs> occasionally uh occasionally using the torchlight uh on my <laughs> on my phone to uh to illuminate my notepad and make notes. Uh, insightful notes just looking down in front of me such as big blue dick but we'll come to that <laughs> <laughs> i know that's referring to uh, <laughs> anybody who's seen the film already knows what that's referencing but um so, so so yeah so there i am i'm two hours into the film and i'm thinking like am i some sort of dickhead am i some sort of turncoat betrayer because i'm loving this this film is great and i'm thinking it's like it's the exact opposite of something like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or, or something like that. It is a painstaking recreation of the comic book in film form. You know, as you say, mm-hmm. there are so many bits. I hadn't read it for like seven years and I'm seeing things and remembering individual frames from the comic. And I'm even thinking yep. like, I'm pretty sure verbatim that exchange they just had was exactly as it was in the comic. And actually, I'm just thinking, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I don't think I've ever gone to a film that that has a source material, be it a book, a TV show, whatever. And in that much detail and puts in that much effort to to just recreating it, not putting in, you know, its own spin or we've got to streamline or whatever else. Yeah. So that's about two hours in. And then we get to about two hours, 41 um, right, okay. And that's when my wife comes in, sits down. I put my arm around her. Uh, we hear Rorschach make some comment about his journal and the credit rolls. <laughs> and I turned to her and I was like, you know, there was a little bumpy moment there near the end where they changed a couple of things. And we'll we'll discuss that in great detail, uh, you know, uh, in a minute. 
that was pretty much like a shot for shot remake of a comic book and <laughs> the reason i had not let her watch it pretty much was because i feared that the film would put her off because right. i just didn't think it was going to be any good i thought it was going to be garbage and i thought this film's going to put her off and then she'll never read the comic she'll never read the graphic novel and that's why uh, one of my goals in life is to get her to read it okay but i really wish in many ways she had sat and watched it with me because I need the perspective of someone that has not read the comic to tell me if it is genuinely a good film that can stand on its own two feet. Because I haven't got a fucking clue. I went in with the mindset that I was just going to bench the comic and not think about it and just take the film on its own merits. But the film being such a loving recreation, you can't ignore the comic and you can't not think about it because it is designed to evoke the comic in every fiber of its being. So... Yes, I enjoyed it. No, I don't know if it's a good movie. Because <laughs> I don't know if anyone who watched it that hadn't read the comic could even follow what was going on. Because I know my brain was filling in a few gaps. And, yeah, you know, I don't know if you take away a little bit of the richness that the graphic novel therefore provides, because it just has that little extra level of detail in it. You know, if if it can still stand on its own two feet. And moreover, you don't read the graphic novel in three hours. You read it you know, however long it takes you to read it, a couple of yeah. days, a week, a yeah. month. So the pacing is different. It has to be. And so, again, you know, I wondered, is the pacing of this film garbage? And I'm just not noticing because I'm like, oh, my God, I remember that bit from the thing. Oh, they actually made him go giant. Wow. You know. So, yeah, that is that is basically, in a nutshell, my asterisk. I, I don't know if I can recommend it as a good movie, but I think as a fan of the comic, I enjoyed it. So that that's a, that's a very good point about not knowing the book because one of the things I like to do either is turn to the wife and say, "Oh, me and Chris, me and Chris, we're we're watching this," and she'll give me a, a capsule review, which I might drop here in the podcast. And one of the things we we both agreed on, I actually said this at the time in two thousand nine, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you to watch this uh-huh. with the wife, is she said, "I don't know if that was a good adaptation or a good movie," mm. because as an adaptation. The director uses the storyboards, uh, yeah, sorry, he uses the comic as the storyboard in mm-hmm. many of the scenes, especially at the start when the comedian dies. It yeah. is exactly the same. And you're sitting there as a fan in the book thinking, oh my good, he, God, he's not going to ruin this. He's, but he actually goes, in my opinion, uh, too far. Yeah. It's, it's such a slavish adaptation. It's, as you said, it's about two hours 30, two hours 40. They actually have cut some things out. Uh, And yet, to make it a better film that was maybe more easily understandable, maybe they should have cut out more. Because that's what I've written down here is basically, is it just too slavish an adaptation Mm. than if they'd maybe cut out some bits? Because at the start of the film, it's kind of mysterious. Obviously, the people are getting killed and there's an investigation to happen. And then in the middle to middle, maybe middle third into the towards the end it kind of slows down as we kind of explore characters and we um have certain scenes from the book come up again and it's great to see them and you're like oh they haven't got rid of that Mm -hmm. that important character moment but then you start to think about it as an actual film you think well actually was it needed so i Mm. i definitely see exactly where you're coming from chris and it's definitely a feeling uh i share about it i just maybe that they as an adaptation, it was just too slavish. It's very much an example of be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You know, what I, I can only imagine because, you know, if we're being honest, um, you know, I, I, I like comics, but because of my desperate need to read things in order, see things in order, etc., cetera, et cetera, <laughs> right. comic books are a no-go zone for me in, in terms of something that isn't like Watchmen, which is a contained, you know, that was like a 12-part, um limited run series thing yeah that had a beginning middle and end and i could enjoy the whole thing and that was that you know i can't get into something like x-men or captain america or pretty much anything in the marvel universe because it's, it's too far gone it's like i don't feel i can just jump in i don't feel i'm allowed to just jump in and that is at the very time i was reading watchmen was as i said i, I bought some x-men comics it was the marvel essentials collection so I could literally try and read every X-Men comic that had ever been made. <laughs> I remember and... those. And there's, 
<laughs> because the, these big thick volumes of yeah. old black and white comics from like the 50s and the 60s where every sentence ends in exclamation mark yes. every single thing <laughs> smile and stan lee we'll see you in the next edition um and they're they're, they're awful um <laughs> i don't mind saying it and and you know flame me if you want internet but the original run of the x-men was um appalling and and it really put me off and I, I, it's one of the few times I've had to just put my hands up and say, this is too big a task for me. If I was an unemployed <laughs> bum and I had nothing to do with my life, maybe I could have done it. You know, I looked into doing the same thing for Batman. And then I realized it went back to like the fucking 30s or something. And I was like, impossible. Like it's, it's almost mathematically impossible because by the time I'm even close to catching up, there'll have been another 10 years worth of Batman comics, five different things running bi-monthly, monthly, weekly, bi-weekly, it's too much. You can't do it, Chris. You're just going to have to sit this one out, champ. Mm. But the point I'm laboring towards is that I'm sure those of you out there who, who read Marvel comics, for example, there probably are quite a few of them that think that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just a massive betrayal and a stab in the back. Because, uh, you know, I know, for example, Civil War was like a massive storyline that ran for quite a while across a number of comics and probably had myriad, very complex plots running. And I'm sure many Marvel fans felt that the film, much loved as it is on the whole, was probably like, oh, you know, it was surface level. You know, it only focused on a few of the characters. You couldn't even see what was going on with whoever at the time. You know, where was Thor throughout all of this? His part was integral. Stuff like that. It's, but yeah, you know, this, this film is so much like, be careful what you wish for, because it's like, okay, well, here you go. This is what happens when someone says, I love the source material as much as you do. And he clearly does. You know, this is this is a love letter to Watchmen. Um, he doesn't want to get rid of anything, and he pretty much doesn't. I mean, like I said, I've just finished reading the first two chapters of the book. And there hasn't been a single thing, uh, a sentence, a frame of the comic, that wasn't in some way pretty much represented accurately on screen uh, by this time in the film. Um, yeah. But it's fascinating. It really is fascinating because it just it sh- it could never have happened, <laughs> you know, before that. And I think I mean I think they were trying to make it. I think I read they were trying to make that film since like ninety five. I take some I take some perverse joy in that. For long times, this was called the unfilmable comic book, and it mm. took Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever you think of him now, I mean, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about some of his um, choices. Mm. Definitely, um, yeah. but certainly you're right. He he keeps to the the source material almost slavishly. If you've not read the book and you know you're just listening to us talk about the film, or maybe you just heard about the film, there's a big reason why this film had like a big drop off from like opening weekend over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it, just, it dropped off a cliff, <laughs> and the reason was all the Watchmen fanboys watched it, and then no one else did yep. because <laughs> it's not as easy to get into, uh, or there's no, there's not an origin story here. In fact, it's it's like the opposite of an origin story it's slap bang near the end of a story again specifically if you think about the narrative of the book it's very complex uh you know you don't find out until about halfway through what the deal with dr manhattan is for example and you know again anyone that's gone to see a superhero film in the last 10 15 years now i suppose they know the score you meet the character the character has their transformation that makes them from ordinary Joe whatever into Iron Man or Hulk or Captain America. And it will take probably about an hour and a half of the movie. And then they have their first adventure and you kind of come away from it usually going, it was good, but I can't wait to see the next one where I don't have to go through all that origin story bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, You do what I like. No, I do enjoy the Marvel universe and the fact it's creating this large universe of characters to the point now where it, ant-man and doctor strange and and black panther and captain marvel whoever whoever that is uh, but at the same time it's like i went into doctor strange was the last one which was released and sat there was like oh fuck there's another origin story here we go again i just I've, I've kind of lost patience for it i'm kind of glad they introduced black panther in civil war because when they get to it hopefully it's there's no origin story it's just straight into it but that's a small point for me Let's stop dancing around this, Chris. Let's go into the, what stood out to you in the film. Either things you liked or disliked or just had to have to discuss. Okay, let's go through. Um, so 
very beautifully shot. Um, you know, I think, I think I was coming into this thinking Zack Schneider of the sort of terrible failed DC film universe, um, and almost forgetting that he is Zack Snyder of the Three Hundred. You know, the man can shoot films that look like a masterpiece. And uh, yeah, you know, right from the get go, the, the style is beautiful. The lighting is perfect. Um, you know, every scene has a very distinct tone. The film looks gorgeous. The film looks like the comic book. Mm-hmm. That, from that point of view, because the source materials, Snyder does an all right job with it, um, and, and it looks good. Mm-hmm. But he also made some changes, um, which may or may not impact upon your enjoyment of the film. So you're actually rereading it now. I'm I've not read it. In, in quite some time so the only major change i remember is the ending i don't really want to jump into the ending now but do you remember when you were watching it did any of the other changes come up and did they piss you off yes um i mean i think if you're gonna do what snyder's done here uh, and go for this really heavy like like you say slavish um you know uh, a recreation of the film you do open yourself up to any slight changes you make being hugely criticized because that's the road you've chosen to take you know it's not it, it is an adaptation it's not uh you know it's not simply you know committing its film and, and and making a film version um you know so that in that respect every tiny little change uh, i probably took issue with um let me ask you this rorschach's face mm-hmm. how do you feel about the fact that it's constantly moving i don't know does it not move in the book well that's just it <laughs> I never thought it did. And in rereading the book, in every single frame, Rorschach's face looks different. So I guess it does. But I always just thought that was some sort of, I don't know, vague stylistic choice maybe, or, uh, you know, that that was almost meant to be more of a perception thing. I didn't think that he had physically magical ink on his face that was constantly making different Rorschach blots. Um I guess that's not necessarily a change. I think it might have been a rather literal take on something that maybe wasn't meant to be that literal. Um, but I found it for the first, um, certainly the first few f- scenes with Rorschach in it, I was just like, why does that keep happening? I found it really, really off-putting. But what did you think of Rorschach? Loved him. I thought um, that was probably the closest to the, to, well, it was closest to the book. We keep on saying it's close yeah. to the book. <laughs> He's definitely the most interesting character. I like... I like when we see, you know, when we finally see his face, we get to find out a little bit of his backstory and, and we get into his his kind of mentality. Um, I thought he was definitely the most fun part of the film, most interesting part of the film to watch. And if anything, I think there needed to be more of him. Uh, what do you think? I don't think there needed to be more of him at all, no. I, the, the trouble is because they followed the book so closely, Chris, that they just, you know... They just copied it verbatim. Mm-hmm. So either you you cut out other elements to make him more the central character, or you or you end up changing more. I I, I don't think so. No, I, I don't think I wanted more Rorschach at all. I mean, it was it was good. It was you know it was well played by um is it Jackie Earl Haley or Halley? I'll get one of our researchers to check. Yeah, get get some of that check. <laughs> I don't know. I just I just don't think. See, this is my, my, my problem with the film, is that it doesn't really translate well as a film film. Mm-hmm. So if, you, you know, if you're talking about this film and, and thinking, oh, I might watch it, you, the, the advice is actually read it. Read it first mm-hmm. and then watch it and then see that someone's actually put up this comic book on screen into a moving comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was sitting there last night watching it and just thinking, if you haven't read this book... You must get to the middle of this film and think, I want to switch this off. Mm. Like he's in prison, like Rorschach's in prison. Night Owl is having sex up in his <laughs> little Night Owl <laughs> with the, the woman. And I'm like, and they're saving people from a burning building. And you're like, what on earth is going on? What's this got to do with the plot? There's a mystery going on. People are getting killed. <laughs> What's going on? And this, this is all garbage. Like you would think that it's it's got a point that you know they're they're extending out the characters and it plays a point in the book, but in this film it just kind of loses steam in the middle. It does. What this, so this is what one of the things that I have a problem with the film, but it's also generally with with Zack Snyder is he's 
He's about as subtle as a sledgehammer. That's a fair comment. And that includes his 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 music choices, not just well, actually throughout the film, right? So whereas someone would think, oh, we're talking about um, growing old. Uh-huh. We could use a song like Times Are Changing, but let's use something else or something a bit more subtle. <laughs> Zach presses the, Zach press, no, <laughs> presses the button and says, exactly, just just get me d- the Bob Dylan version. Let's put that in there and let's just move on to the next one. Yeah, control S, save, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, so the, the music choices throughout the film, there are a bit of subtle. Some, t- some of them are good, don't get me wrong. They're good songs. Um, you know, there's, there are um, three Dylan songs, it? but you know, let's talk about the Night Owl say, scene using... Not just Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah for when Night Owl presumed... <laughs> At least it wasn't the Jeff Buckley version. Well, it could be any version, Chris, to be honest with you. But to actually use <laughs> Leonard Cohen, God bless him, you know, rest in peace, Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Um, to yeah. actually use the Leonard Cohen version as he presumably loses his virginity um, right up against the consoles. It's Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, possibly. Yeah. Uh, but I can't remember from the book. But uh, again taken right out the book um and i sat there in the cinema i was thinking oh my god they're actually going to put this bit in verbatim uh-huh. into the film <laughs> and they have uh i just it, it it felt uncomfortable watching it it felt very uncomfortable um i literally thought like if if memory serves i'm watching it last night and it kind of cuts aw- it kind of cuts away as if like we'll leave it there and then it kind of goes like just kidding now they're in a new position enjoy this <laughs> and i was like wow okay so i can see the contours of everybody's body and nothing is left to my imagination and we're still going <laughs> uh and then right into boom there's the flamethrower guess what that's meant to represent <laughs> exactly <laughs> and you're sitting there watching it thinking what does this add like what does this add to the film yeah. like it's in the comic book but does it need to be in the film <laughs> Well, it doesn't need to be in this way. It's, oh, man. That's Zach. That's Zach. Like, the sex scenes are gratuitous. The nudity is as frequent as he can make it for his rating. The violence is as over the top as is humanly possible, specifically the gore. Yeah, there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of broken bones. There's a lot of... Someone gets his arms chopped off at one point. (sighs) It's, yeah, it's it's a full-on film. Yeah, and, you know, again, that can be at odds with what often feels like quite a light-hearted thing like it's i think thematically i think it's pretty fucked up like i think one moment yeah you know one moment i'm feeling like oh it's a it's a fun little uh, you know irreverent look at superheroes and they're having a joke over something that's kind of dark that's nice and then very gritty very fucking chop off the handsy and then a little bit more light-hearted and then you know, we're in Rorschach's mind. We're seeing, we're seeing him take down some sort of kiddie fiddler pedophile thing. It is kind of a dark comic book. Mm. So in that in that regard, I don't actually think it fits out of place. It's just it's it's just it's just very visceral. I think it feels like, and you know, like you say, in terms of trying to match up the comic, uh, in in terms of that feel, then very much mission accomplished. Um, you know, but again, sometimes I just felt like my brain's jumping around too much. This isn't how I should be feeling during a movie. You know, um, it felt like it, it lacked a coherence um, as, as a film. As I say, I, I was sitting there enjoying it because my brain was filling in the gaps and my brain was enjoying seeing all of these scenes that I could remember from the comic book so lovingly. Um, but yeah, you know, that's, that's sack. That's why I haven't watched any of the new DC movies. Well, I've, I don't, th- I've watched Man of Steel. I haven't watched the other ones. Uh, and Man of Steel... Pass. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, one of the most common uh, phrases in my notes is on the nose. Uh, you know, one example is the clock. Yeah. You know, the, the, the clock is quite um, it's quite prevalent in the comics as, as, a, as an image. It doesn't really get referred to that much. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a representation of where we are in terms of the chapters. Um, you know, but if, you know, in the film, it's it's very just boom. We're talking about the the doomsday clock. It's two minutes to midnight. Midnight being Armageddon. That's what that phrase means. Here is the clock, and it's going to be midnight when everything goes to shit. Do you know what I mean? Um, I felt yep. that was uh, I, I felt that was just a bit too on the nose. It's like, you know, we get it. We're smart people. This film is complete fan service, and it, it's just 
it's just an adaptation for the comic book fans, Chris. To the point of saying, look, there's the clock. Yeah, it's nothing to the film. Yeah, you remember the clock, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you remember the clock, uh, but there's there's no need to put it in this film. Again, if you're thinking about an adaptation and saying, try and make it into a, a cohesive mm. one-off film, you might cut out certain elements. Like, what does it serve? Not much. We can understand there's going to be nuclear Armageddon, or there possibly is going to be nuclear Armageddon. Uh, we don't need a giant clock uh, yeah. to tell us that. Uh, we're smart enough audiences, hopefully. Um, <laughs> I think there was also... Um... You know, again, I feel like, you know, maybe sometimes it could have benefited from the occasional uh, paraphrasing um, in the in the scene in which we're seeing the uh, comedian going a bit over the top with some crowd control and Night Owl's trying to have a conversation with him about it. And he just utters the line, what happened to the American dream? And I wasn't buying it. I just like... <laughs> I was just like, why did those words just come out of your mouth? It just feels completely like out of nowhere, and like no human would ever say that. Now, when I'm reading it in the comic, it doesn't come across that way, partly because, um, may I quote Harrison Ford? All right. He said to George Lucas, you can write this shit, George, but people can't say it. Now, that's not to say that the writing in the comic is shit. It is simply to say sometimes the written word is a little bit different and how your brain perceives it to actually having an actor stand there and say the line, what happened to the American dream without <laughs> any sense of feeling or wistfulness or irony, just. It's probably not helped by him. Patrick Wilson, uh, having a slightly younger take on his character at that point and going like, what happened to the American dream? <laughs> what happened to us comedian? <laughs> and it then oh, makes. No. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> and it, it also kind of makes, um, his retort, you know, oh, can't you see what happened? It came true. It kind of makes that fall flat. Whereas that's kind of, you know, again, that's that's part of your theme. That's something you really got to nail. You know, that scene has to mean something, or you take it out. It can't just sit there flaccid like that, like John's big blue dick. Let's talk about the big blue dick. It was too much. <laughs> <laughs> too much. Di- you know what? I remember watching it in the cinema. And um, I'm, I'm, I can't remember the comic book. It's been so long since I read it. Yeah. But I remember thinking, a bit like you, Chris, there's going to be changes in this. I hope there's not too many changes. But I understand it's a movie. There needs to be some changes. Nope. Big blue wang. <laughs> big blue wang. Multiple big blue wangs where there's multiple Doc Manhattans. Just walking yeah. around without pants. Just just swinging away. I thought, I thought maybe the first time we've seen it, okay, you've made your point. But no. It's like, you're going to keep seeing it. I'm going to put him in pants only when the comic dictates that I'm allowed to put him in pants or a suit. Otherwise, you're getting an eyeful. And don't think I'm going to film him from the waist up. You are going to see <laughs> this big, glowing blue phallus. <laughs> you're not just going to see his butt, and then he turns around and it's top up. No, 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 no. You're, you're going to get a face full of wang. I'm, just... I'm... <laughs> it's an interesting choice by the director because there was no need. Like, there's no need for it. I understand. I understand why, because it's in the comic book, and I understand it's, you know, John is not really part of humanity at this part until he goes to Mars, and all of a sudden he's convinced to come back. You know, yeah. Whatever. But I could have done without so much. Blue I, could, after the first I could have turn. done with a little bit less, but uh, I feel like the conversation we just had is probably the director's commentary on the matter. Um... <laughs> I just really felt like I needed more dick. Just, yeah. More D. I, you know. It became thing is it became a distraction for me. That was the problem. Like, I just started going off on on these thoughts, and I was like, "Is that the actor's dick? Is that CG dick? Are you even allowed to show dick? <laughs> I mean, what point is he making? F- you know, fair point because we see enough, we see enough booby in films, don't we? That you know, fair enough if you want to uh, balance it exactly, up. exactly. For all those people who say there's too much female nudity. There's a big dose of male nudity in this film. Just enjoy. It just happens to be blue. It is an ill-informed, Ill, Ill-informed attempt to remedy it by going in completely the wrong direction. <laughs> Instead of just saying, let's just have less female nudity too. It's like, no, I want the boobs. I just Let's just redress it by showing women dick, which they don't want to see anyway, as far as I've ever been informed. Um, yeah, but then, you know, it's actually, it raises a serious point. So all the, all the big blue dick. 
again, you know, when we, we start to find out about Doc Manhattan, and you, you raised a point in the book that we don't actually find out about Doc Manhattan until midway, three quarters of the way through the book. Yeah. You know, what happened to him, the accident, and it, it happens here. And he basically explains it to us in the form of flashback, uh-huh. which goes not linear. It goes back and forth and back a bit more and then forth a bit more and all around the place. And again, if you've read the book, you know exactly what's coming. If you haven't, you must be wondering why this character is telling you these things out of order and all over the shop. I mean, again, I, I, tried, I tried to sit there and watch it through the eyes of someone else and think, does this make sense? I'm not entirely sure it does. That's the big question. And honestly, I just, I can't answer it. I really can't because I, 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 you know, I can't put myself in that position at all. But I feel like that scene in particular would be quite hard to swallow. I mean, he does make a point early on in the film, doesn't he? He says, like, you don't experience time the way I experience it. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, then later mm-hmm. on, he says, like, time is relative. Um, and that's that's a very important thing to how I view the world. So, you know, we can kind of see that. But, yeah, you know, him all of a sudden just telling us this really disjointed story uh, and, you know, but always telling it in as if it's in the present. It's this date. I am. Now it's this date. I am. I think it's pretty much just jarring. And, you know, it might also make you question. So so who's who's telling the narrative at this point? Like we were in Rorschach's head, he was telling the narrative. Yeah. Now John's having a pop at the narrative. We actually never really hear Night Owl's narrative in particular. You know, we just kind of follow him for a bit. It's, it's yeah. You know, it kind of comes back to my point about it. I just feel it's it must be disjointed if you're just watching it as a film. Film is set in 1985, and our villain, spoiler alert, is actually one of the heroes, uh, Ozymandias, mm-hmm. also known as oh god, how do you pronounce his name? Fate. Adrian V. Viet. So Ozymandias <laughs> slash Viet is, is the bad guy played by Matthew Good. Uh-huh. And he dresses like a pimp, Chris. He is a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> He's the smartest man in the world, but he loves black and purple. <laughs> the second time he was wearing this, <laughs> it reminded me of Zap Brannigan, this velour purple jacket he was wearing. Brannigan's Law. <laughs> Brannigan's Law, like Brannigan's Love, hard and fast. And yeah. I imagine Ozymandias is the same. He's the film's villain. Yeah. Um, hidden mysteriously until the last moment when we sort of have our, our heroes have their moment of realisation that he's been the bad guy all along. Do you think he could have played it any more like a bad guy from the beginning? Because I don't. <laughs> Was it a bit obvious, Chris? Yeah. And I, again, maybe it's my brain saying, he's the bad guy. You know he's the bad guy. But I just felt with his cold, detached European accent, you know, the whole time it kind of felt like, well, obviously this guy's the bad guy. He's he's completely flat and emotionless, and we have no one else to think that it could be. Because the film goes to the effort of telling you, there's a mystery, we don't know who's behind this. And then it doesn't give you anyone that you think it could be. Except for maybe five minutes, you might think it's the pointy-eared Moloch. You're pretty much just there going... Who else could it be? Probably Adrian Veet, the guy we don't really follow, who acts kind of evil all the time and obviously has the means to pull this off. Exactly. So it's 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 almost set up like this is a mystery mm-hmm. and our heroes are going to find the bad guy. But it never goes that way because that's how it goes in the comic book. There's never really any... I don't think there's really any MacGuffins in the comic book either. It's just... I don't know how you would describe it, like a, a treatise on on modern superheroes, hmm. and there is no like MacGuffin. There is no uh, two or three different people to run down an alley and chase, and oh, could be that guy, it could be this guy. There's never any hint that it's someone else. It's just a murderer who's out killing people, and they can never come close. Yeah, it's a little bit unsatisfying that way because again, you in in trying to be so close to the book. They don't actually really set it up as a film. They don't really set it up as a mystery. It's just, this is the book on film. And if you've read the book, great. You'll, you'll hopefully be somewhat satisfied. Yeah. And if you haven't, good. Fuck you. Luck. Why are you here? Exactly. <laughs> Fuck you. Thank, <laughs> thanks for the $7, asshole. Now, fuck off. Exactly. So uh, you've got the fans probably saying, but where's the Tales of the Black Freighter? And then you've got the, yeah. 
the non-fans saying, I want a movie. This is not a movie. <laughs> this is just rambling. So actually, there is another edition, which I don't possess, of, of Watchmen that goes beyond the director's cut. So the director's cut features 20 minutes of cut footage, which takes us to a tight three hours. Then the ultimate edition also incorporates the Tales of the Black Freighter mini comic book within a comic book that must take the overall film to like three and a half maybe even closing in on four hours and at that point you kind of you know you'd say especially if it happened in the modern day and age you would say this should have been a netflix series like if this has been a netflix series with six episodes or 12 episodes i think it would be loved i think it would be a cult sensation i think people would 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 speak of it very very highly um you know whereas it is now it's kind of a, a forgotten film you know people don't really talk about it anymore one way or another except for us and i think well i think that's a great point chris a netflix or amazon series like a mini series one off 10 episodes maybe eight or something that they're going to go through it and include all the elements it could be it could work yeah it could work i think i think you're right i think as a film it is forgotten because it came out as we said it came out at the same time as as the mcu the Marvel Cinematic Universe was really taking off and you had Batman Begins and that trilogy taking off as well. And audiences were a bit befuddled, mm. I would say, by this one. Um, and if you hadn't read the book, you were completely lost by it. You know, on that front, I think you, you made the point previously, I think, that it sort of, it was kind of getting lumped in. And especially someone who sees it on Netflix now or sees it on the shelves and thinks, oh, a, super, you know, a superhero flick, I might watch this. Especially Zack Snyder. I love Batman versus Superman. This is going to be the perfect night in. You know, <laughs> you are going to be bitterly disappointed because this is not the film for you. And I think where it actually comes in is it's a lot more like the uh, the adaptation of Sin City or indeed Zack Snyder's first film or, you know, first major film, 300, uh, which was also a Frank Miller, you know, comic book. It's, mm. if you watched it in conjunction with those kind of films it would feel right at home because it's a very similar kind of creature. It feels the same. It's filmed in a similar kind of way. The narrative isn't, um, you know, at all what you're used to, but you can kind of get on board with it. You know, and I, I wear, I think the 300 has lasted the test of time just because when you take all that aside, it's still just a badass action movie. Whereas this maybe doesn't have that level of action to sustain it. It's just got a confusing narrative and, yeah, you know, if if you've never read the comics, probably feels something of a lack of substance. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest about this film, either about the, the changes or the ending? I felt that even more on the nose than Bob Dylan was Simon and Garfunkel's Sounds of Silence at the fucking funeral. <laughs> right. What? Like, that's like... It's just fucking filmmaking 101. It's just lazy. Uh, in the film, they uh, are called the Watchmen. They refer to themselves as the Watchmen... Um, and one of the just interesting things about the comic book is they never actually call themselves the Watchmen. You never hear them referred to as that. Um, and the only implication that that was ever their name is some graffiti that somebody's constantly trying to spray paint but never finishes until the end of the book that says, who watches the Watchmen? Mm. Um, you'd have to ask Alan Moore what the point of that was, but there was a point, I'm sure. And the film clearly shit all over it by just referring to them as the Watchmen a bunch of times. For me... A comic uh, or a graphic novel, much like a book, is a very personal, individual experience. And you can share it with someone in so much as you can talk about what you read or what you saw. And you can even talk about how you interpreted it uh, and have those discussions. But it will always kind of be individual to you because only you can hear what the character's voices sound like in your head. Only you can dictate the pace at which you take everything in. Um, And for me, especially when I'm reading a comic, especially like Watchmen you know, I take everything in quite slowly. It has an almost languid pace. Mm. Um, But that is, that is what it is to me. So uh, occasionally when Zach was going a bit super quick fire fast, I was like, maybe this is even, you know, what was intended. And that's certainly how he perceived it, but it takes my personal interpretation and says, Nope, this is what you've got. This is what you're dealing with. And the final thing to put a button on it, is a quote from Alan Moore, who we've been incredibly restrained in not mentioning once, really, considering he wrote the comic. (laughs) 
Alan Moore, who who wrote this book and uh, famously hates all adaptations, but famously sold the rights to a lot of his books when he was young, yep. uh, <laughs> hates all adaptations and refuses to watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, really, uh, I, I think good job us for not getting too bogged down in him and his uh, his approach. I think he's a bit of an asshole about it, to be honest. But he did he did say something in an interview I read many years ago. Um, possibly, I think probably before this film even came out, um, in which somebody said to him, like, wow, you know, The Watchman is so cinematic. And he got very upset by that. And he said, I didn't do it to say, wow, look at how much comic books can be like movies. He said, I did it to show what this medium can be like when it's on its own. I don't want this to be adapted, adapted into a film because I feel it would lose something. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I think his point is borne out in this film. Like <laughs> you cannot watch this and come away from it going like way better than the comic book or, you know, what a perfect adaptation it's, it's a very interesting thing to watch. I would be amazed if anyone who watched this said either one, it was better than the comic book, <laughs> doubt it. Or two, if they hadn't read the comic book, they thought it was a good film. Like I thought they might think it's interesting that it has some good elements, mm-hmm. the way it looked, some of the action, maybe, um, it's quite you know vivid to look at, and certainly at the end poses an interesting conundrum, as it does in the book. But I'd be very surprised if anyone watched this without reading the book and went, oh, "That was a great film." I I compel any listener listening right now to go to our Facebook page or to contact us via Twitter, which we'll get to momentarily, I'm sure. And if you didn't read the comic, tell me what you thought of it because I am fascinated. I cannot find anyone that has watched it devoid of having read the comic so i have no frame of reference but uh, i really want to hear from you our loyal fans and listeners <laughs> that that was a lovely way of buttering it up but i've got one final thing to ask please before we before we end uh to quote doc manhattan without condemning or condoning chris mm-hmm. could you do it i think i could i think i could do you, do you know why i wanted to ask that chris is because i was <laughs> i just thought being a kid and having a sleepover and solving the world's issues right <laughs> like every child does like i'm sure i solved the uh, northern irish pre- peace crisis yeah 10 years before uh, they decided to have the good friday agreement and i did it in a night <laughs> here's what they need to do it's so simple by the way israel palestine give me a call because i've done it solved i've got it right down here it's like three sentences jed bartlett figured it out already it's done like i don't know why does it take so long mm. some people are so pig-headed um but this feels like one of those kind of, uh, <laughs> this feels like uh one of these uh late night uh kind of kids sitting around saying if you could kill millions to save billions would you do it would you <laughs> and, and, and would you keep the secret i don't think i could do what he did but you know could i do what uh you know daniel does and laurie does and and keep the secret probably i don't i don't think i'd go out the rorschach way let's put it like that no i'm too much of a coward (laughs) (laughs) well exactly i'm a coward like dan's a coward and i would probably uh keep the secret and just be like life is better now that i'm not dead so fine (laughs) (laughs) so at the end of the film there's a market change from the comic book because veet uses manhattan's technology to kill people in various cities around the world, like mm-hmm. a coordinated nuclear attack, as opposed to the comic book, which from memory was some giant alien space squid. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I reckon budget, to be fair. I reckon that's why he changed it, because just for that one scene, that probably would have cost a lot of money. I can't remember why he changed it, but I... <laughs> space squid seems a bit ridiculous. I mean, with all due respect to Alan Moore. The point they're trying to make there, and... It's it's a fair one. Is okay, so they do giant space squid, whatever else. And the whole human race unites because they think we have bigger fish to fry, as it were. Now you might think that's a little bit ham fisted or whatever, but that's that's the point he's trying to make. And you might find it a little harder to believe that just by saying Doctor Manhattan killed a bunch of people indiscriminately, that all of a sudden Russia's gonna go, Alright, we're disarming the nukes. If anything, they might have just fired them all, uh, you know, out of a panic. Like, Adrian's plan seems a lot less well thought through 
because of that um because of that change that's a good point actually i hadn't really thought about it like that because they were talking earlier in the film that doc manhattan could probably stop most of the nukes i think it said it was at fifty thousand. yeah so, so... Could stop most of the mm-hmm. nukes in time but not all of them so therefore there'd still be probably nuclear annihilation yeah even and with it... doc manhattan and i you know and i think you know again that kind of almost has an unfortunate ignorance of quite how close they really were in the cold war to all out you know nuclear war i read a story recently um about a guy from the cold war who accidentally booted up a program that was like a training program but what it made it look like on his console was that russia had launched a nuclear missile and so they literally scrambled the jets that were fueled up and ready to go with nuclear missiles on board and they were in the air before the mistake was realized and luckily they called them back and crisis was averted but everything was on a hair trigger back then so to just say i'm going to set off a bunch of seemingly nuclear explosions that'll solve the problem is a dumb move well chris we've certainly talked a lot about this film uh probably time we wrap up and go on to our next uh, Mm. watching what are we going to watch chris this film neither of us have watched Mm -hmm. but we do have uh in some ways lengthy shared history with this film okay i'm gonna give you a third clue and see if you get it from this we have a shared history with the first two films in this trilogy Oh, you got fuck. It? <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. You and I are going to watch the uh, Francis Ford Coppola classic, The Godfather Part 3. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so neither of us have seen it, and I won't say too much about that because that's, you know, that's for next episode. But um, I think it's time. I think it's time we both watched it. <laughs> okay, well, we get, we, we're going to have some fun at least talking about why we didn't watch it, but yeah <laughs> uh, okay that's great well thanks a lot chris uh, i'll look forward to watching that uh, next week or two weeks time in our last podcast in our last <laughs> one before i enough. string myself up <laughs> well that's all for this episode guys we're going to be back in two weeks talking about godfather part three in the meantime if you wish you can keep in touch with us on twitter at oh brother pod you can like us at facebook.com slash oh brother podcast and finally, we ask that you subscribe and review. Please review. Please review uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. More reviews means more people get to enjoy a fascinating discourse uh, like you've just enjoyed. Uh, so I've been Steve, he's been Chris, and we'll see you next time. Hit the theme tune. Hit the theme.